1: I would imagine, understandably so, that Don Fisher probably thought, well, Jake's going to ask me about that game and I'm going to talk about it, which we will get to. But on this President's Day, as we bring on the longtime voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, I will ask Don Fisher, Don, if there was a president historically, and by historically, I mean not necessarily one like, say, of our lifetimes, but just like over the course of history that you think would have been a fun one to just hang out with for a day, you would pick who? <laughs>
0: Jake, you're killing me. Um, let me think about it a second. I, I didn't expect the question. Obviously, I don't have a, a prompt answer for you. But, Welcome I, to my see, life, Don.
1: Um, uh, yeah, exactly. This is <laughs> Don. I would think of you as a Teddy Roosevelt guy, like riding around on a horse. Maybe go out and lasso up some bison. That seems like something you'd do, right? Who was the big, fat president that was a really good golfer? <laughs> See? Who was, the, who was well, the big, fat president that was a good golfer? Well, William Howard Taft got stuck in a bathtub. He was a big—you That you know, what's interesting, Don, is—and I don't know if this is the one that was a good golfer, but but there was an era that I call—and I, I think I'm the only one that calls it this— there was a presidential era that I simply called the bearded fat guy era because you had, like, Taft, Rutherford B. Hayes, Grover— uh, um, Grover Cleveland, like all those guys were – like what did they do back then besides not shave and eat junk food, right? It's amazing. At golf, apparently, right?
0: Well, here's the thing. I mean, and I just thought of somebody that I would have probably liked to hung out with from from a golfing perspective, and that would have been Dwight Eisenhower.
1: Yeah, well, and that's – a fascinating guy all the way around, right, just yeah, in general. absolutely. Yeah, so there you go. All right, so Don Fisher joining us. Don, uh, <laughs> I'm driving around yesterday during the game, and I wanted you to elaborate on this before anything else, and that is you came out of a break during the broadcast yesterday, and the dance team, I think, was on on the floor, and you actually pseudo kind of threatened that you might get up and dance for everybody, right? <laughs> well, I had to do something other than pay attention to basketball. <laughs> I was gonna say that it sadly, Don kidding aside it it, it kind of reflects right just the the levity that was necessary in that game because at that point Indiana had gotten down sixteen to northwestern um I just fear Don, and I realize that it's impossible for us to know because we're not like in the locker room or at the practices. but uh, to put it simply and maybe dangerously, has Indiana lost the season here I, I mean, is is this a team? that maybe never even fully to begin with had the necessary chemistry. But at this point, are there too many eyes on too many directions?
0: Well, I would say this. Uh, I think this, believe it or not, I would say that this is a pivotal week. And the reason I say that is because Indiana plays a home game against Nebraska on Wednesday night, a Nebraska team that has played well this year, beat Indiana by 16 back on January the 3rd but it's a Nebraska team that has yet to win a Big Ten game on the road this year. Therefore, I I give Indiana a solid chance of knocking them off on Wednesday night. Then they travel to Penn State, and they they play a team that has struggled this season much of the year. They got beat by them at Indiana. Penn State, uh, you know, I don't know how they won that ball game in the sense of uh, Penn State itself, because I thought Indiana would definitely handle them at home, they did not do that. So from my perspective, this is another ball game that if Indiana could beat Nebraska on Wednesday, then they got a shot and knocking off Penn State at Penn State on Saturday. And Penn State got beat by, you know, Nebraska, I think, in their last outing. Um, and Nebraska beat them 68-49. to 49. You know, you wonder if that ball club is ready to give it up. So I, I all I can tell you at this, I think this is two winnable ball games this weekend. If they can get on a little bit of a roll here and this week alone, uh, maybe that transfers into a season that's not lost. But if they don't win these two ball games, and even if they go one and one, I think there's still a, a chance that this team has given up the ship, so to speak. And I don't think that these guys are quitting. But at the same time, they're not playing like they're playing for a Big Ten title or anything else at this point. They're still trying to find themselves. And that's the biggest question mark on this basketball team right now is why at this point in the season, are you still trying to find yourself
2: voice? The Hoosiers Don Fisher is our guest, Don. You spoke with associate head coach, Kenya Hunter during the weekly radio show discussing preparation for Northwestern two part question for you. One, is it common for it to be an associate head coach doing that hit with you instead of coach Woodson? And then two, Hunter mentioned to you that the inconsistency this year has boiled down to youth and the injuries they've dealt with, most notably Xavier Johnson's absence. Do you see it that same way? Well, I
0: think it's a reality that the injuries have hurt this team. There's no question in my mind Xavier Johnson – if he's playing up to his capabilities, is playing, you know, would really help this ball club. And he has struggled this year with injuries once again, uh, like he did last year, even though it hasn't kept him out the full season. Uh, missing a month back in December really hurt him. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, he comes back, he plays sporadically at that point, then he gets hurt again. Um, so that th- there's no doubt they were counting on him to be a major factor. That's a reality. Uh, it, it, and yeah, it sounds like an excuse, but it's also a factor. Um, at the same time, this ball club hasn't gelled. Um, they just, for whatever reason, uh, they'll have a good ball game or at least a game in which they play well and find a way to win it. And then they'll come out and have uh, a, you know one that just they go in the tank on. The, the, the Purdue game, obviously, at West Lafayette was one of those. And they didn't play Purdue well the first time they faced them. And there's a reason for that because Purdue's pretty good, although – and then Purdue gets beat yesterday by Ohio State, and who would have guessed that? I mean, if you had $1,000 that you had, just somebody gave you 1000 bucks and you could bet it, you'd have bet $1,000 bucks they would have beat Ohio State yesterday, but it didn't happen. So, you know what? Uh, this is this is a season that has been up and down for the Indiana Ball Club. They still have a chance to turn it around here at the end, but there are only six games left to do it, and these two this week, in my mind, are just pivotal.
1: Don Fisher, our guest, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Don, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, Um And, and I, I'm legitimately, genuinely asking. So I'm not asking rhetorically. I, I genuinely don't know. Sometimes, in particular, when you have a team like this one that, as you talked about, you know, there's no doubt that Indiana has talent. I mean, Khalil is a talented player. Malik Renew, I think, is a really talented player. Mbako, M- M- I mean, it goes on. But in terms of the gelling together... I have always felt like the pre-Big Ten schedule is the perfect time to kind of tinker with lineups and get a feel for who plays well with other combinations and what works that you can go to over the course of the year. Maybe we've gotten away from that a little bit because there's so much priority now on building conference resume before the tournament and, and or excuse me, tournament resume before conference play, etc. But did Indiana do that, do you feel like, in in November and December? Were they getting good enough looks at different combinations early on?
0: I thought they did. I mean, I, I can't fault Mike Woodson for the combinations he put out there. I mean, he did a lot of experimenting during the, the months of November and December. I, I And he had to do some of it just because of Xavier Johnson being out. Um, so he, he had to put different lineups out on the floor – The the difference has been that the lineups that he's put out there, and I'm not talking about the starters necessarily, but the bench has been so inconsistent of late. I mean, the last month, month and a half, they have just been very inconsistent. Guys coming off the bench, one day they'll give you something, the next day they don't. And that's always going to be an issue, especially as you get down toward the end of the season when your ball club needs some help from the bench. Uh, especially when guys struggle a little bit, like Malik Renu is in the last few ball games, he's been getting into a lot of foul trouble here of late. And without doubt, he's Indiana's probably his. He and Khalil Ware, obviously the two best players on the floor for IU. But when you get one of your best that's struggling at that point, it, it factors in. And then you bring somebody off the bench, and they can't—they they don't change things for you, or don't help you get better. Uh, it's a real problem. So I I don't think really, in my mind, I thought Mike used a lot of different combinations during the pre-conference portion of the schedule. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. Some of them carried over to Big Ten play. And here of late, uh, it doesn't seem to be anybody consistently performing out on the floor.
1: Now, Don, I'd like to know if you would enjoy this or if it would drive you crazy. Apparently, Lyndon Johnson, when he golfed, Would Lyndon Johnson on the golf course didn't keep score and would just simply keep hitting shots until he got one that he really liked, and then you would advance? It said that people thought he might have swung up to 400 times per round. Now, would you like playing golf with a guy like that, or would it drive you bonkers? Bonkers. Absolutely bonkers.
0: You're a playthrough
3: I mean,
1: guy, huh? Uh,
0: you know,
1: I, I well, first of all,
0: being behind
1: I, him would really suck. Yeah,
0: exactly. And, and and that at that point, even if he was the president, and he was playing golf. I figured he could take it. I'm going to go up and ask to play through.
1: <laughs> Excuse. Usually, when the question begins with "Excuse me, Mr. President," <laughs> you already know your answer, right? Yeah. Or I'll just act
0: like I don't know him and say, "Man, you suck." Can I go through? <laughs>
1: that's right don't run again by the way please don fisher's our guest the uh longtime voice of the indiana hoosiers um don what player on this roster this year i guess if uh, i'm gonna leave with two positive things here because i don't want to be all negative nancy especially on a holiday right i mean we're coming off a big weekend for the city um give me a player this year that more often than not you feel has really pleasantly surprised and a guy that you've been happy for over the course of the season because when his number's been called more often than not he has played at a high level
0: well I think the guy that probably has played the best this year for this ball club consistently because he plays so hard is Trey Galloway I know he doesn't shoot the basketball sometimes like we thought he would this year especially from the three-point line but I think this guy has played out of position the entire season. I think he's a three, uh, more so than a one or a two. Uh, he's one of those guys that, that has taken on the role of the point guard a great deal of the time, of handling the basketball, getting it where he needs to go. He has 12 assists in the ball game yesterday, uh, which, which, you know, it's a career high for him. But he's been doing a good job of getting the ball where it needs to go when it's been his job to do so. I just think, and from a consistency standpoint, there's nobody that plays harder on this basketball team than Trey Galloway. And I thought that would be the case throughout the year before the season began. I also thought he would shoot the ball better consistently from three point from the three-point line since last year. He was right at 47% for the season. And I didn't shoot volumes, and he still hasn't shot volumes this year. Other than a couple of ball games, but at the same time, last year he was consistently knocking down the three, and this year has been very sporadic.
1: Okay, so Don, here's here's your homework assignment. Okay, I'll give you a week to prepare, but next week we're going to do something fun when 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 you join us. Aside from talking about this year, but to to be positive, because I want to be a positive guy about IU basketball. To be positive, each week we're going to end the segment where I'm just going to ask you about one of your favorite Indiana players from yesteryear not even necessarily in terms of their on-court production but just a guy whose story you always felt like exemplified what you would want out of a student athlete a guy that you just thought you know what I just always pulled for that guy and he's done well in life and he's just been a good citizen a good ambassador for the sport. So
0: all right, I'll, I'll I'll look. I won't look that up. I'll just think about it. <laughs> that way,
1: that that comes with more preparation than quickly off the top of your head knowing that William Howard Taft was a guy that golfed a lot, which is impressive yeah. actually. That you knew that, I was impressed by that.
0: Yeah, well, I I knew that he did golf quite a bit, and and I don't know how good a player he was, but I don't think he was like Lyndon Johnson. And <laughs> and, and and that's the other thing. That, don't even get me started. I shouldn't even be talking right now because I'm going to put a big foot
1: in my mouth. Well, the, the interesting thing for Lyndon Johnson would be that when it came to golf, he wanted as many swings as he can get, but when it came to the presidency, he walked away when he still had an opportunity to run again. That would be the interesting thing, right? <laughs> The dichotomy there of Lyndon, <laughs> apparently, you know what I mean. Maybe should have taken more swings. That, you know, I mean, we can go on and on and on. But, Don, not know, to yeah. steal
2: Jake's thunder, but uh, the late George H. W. Bush once said, "It's amazing how many people beat you in golf now that you're no longer president." Let's just say you have an opportunity to play golf with an active sitting president at any point in time throughout history, and you have a putt to win it. You're, you're knocking that in, right? You're not, you're not missing for for the big guy in the Oval Office, right? Well, if I don't have
0: the yips, I'm going to knock it in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Uh, Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers inside Indiana basketball with Mike Woodson tonight at 7.05. You can hear that right here on this radio station. Don, a pleasure as always. Happy President's Day to you.
0: Same to you guys. Thanks for having me. The president
1: of broadcasting in Indiana, Don Fisher, and a Hall of Famer, uh, multiple Hall of Fames for that matter. Joining us now, and I'm sure thrilled with that conversation, although we'll bring him into the um, the topic, Mike Chappell joins us from CBS4 and WXIN, Fox 59, and Chap, we'll get into free agency talk in just a second here, but I'll begin with this. You could sit down and you could have a Coors Light on ice with any president in history, and I don't mean for your politics, I just mean the one that you think seems like he would have been the most cool guy to sit down and have a beer with. You pick who?
3: Kennedy, JFK. I, I, I think all of his... I tell you, he could not have been president very easily in today's media.
1: Can you imagine? But
3: I, I, Yeah, I'm, I'm a Kennedy guy and yeah, I'm Democrat. All, all that. I think he would be so cool to sit... I would have my cores on ice because I do... No, I'm not sure how he does his, but I think he'd be cool to talk to. Him.
1: Uh, I mean, you get enough... Coors lights in him, you can probably start getting some dirt on all kinds of good stuff, right?
3: Yeah, he might bring in a third party to sit and talk with us. And, <laughs> you know. Well, the third party's Marilyn Monroe. That's the benefit, but right? I was I was going to not say that, but yes, that's what I was thinking. Chap, do you—and re-
1: and I don't mean to date you here, so my apologies. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was at the doctor the other day, and the guy in front of me, you know, they, they say, like, okay, your date of birth, and the guy gives right. his date of birth. And, and he said, like, yeah, my date of birth, it was like 12-1 of 70, I think. Uh, or excuse me, of 56. Of, and so I, I did the quick math, and I'm like, okay, well, he would have been seven in November of 63. So we sit down, and I said to the guy, I go, hey, this is kind of a weird thing to say. And he goes, okay. And I go, but I overheard your date of birth. And I'm guessing that the Kennedy assassination is the first historical moment in your life that you vividly recall. And he's like, man... You could not be more accurate. And, I mean, he it was fascinating because he, he was in first grade. He gave me the full rundown of the day. I mean, he was like, we did this, we did that. And then, you know, the, he remembered specifically everything about it. And you don't meet many people that were around then that, that can't do the same thing. Um, I assume that's the case with you, right?
3: Yeah, I would have been like 12. I was born in 51. And I, I, I remember that it was like three days or four days of, of – of, on our three channels on TV to where you had the Kennedy stuff. And I – maybe my memory fails me, but I, I thought it was on a Sunday morning we're watching when they're taking Oswald out of the jail and Ruby shoots him. Correct. On, on, on live TV, I believe. Correct. So, That's yeah, correct. It, it, you really – things sort of stick with you. That one does because you just don't – you know, that just doesn't happen. I, I can remember – I stayed up late and watched uh, the Bobby Kennedy thing on the West Coast when he was going, and he was shot by, who the hell was it? Uh, Saran
1: Saran. Saran Saran. In Los Angeles.
3: In in, in the kitchen of the, the, whatever hotel it was. So, yeah, and it's really, you know, and Martin Luther King, it's pretty damn bad that you've got mileposts in your life marred with, darn, assassinations. I mean, now we're getting numb to these senseless Shootings, I don't care what the NRI says. They're senseless shootings, and they play a hand in it. And email the show, and I don't care. But uh, yeah, it's just when you when you when you spend such a long time, unfortunately, yeah, I can I can remember the landing on the moon and Neil Armstrong and all that. Boy, some of the the nasty things are what sort of are seared in your head, maybe because of the dramatic slant to them, but. And that's that's the world we live in.
1: You know, it was a Sunday with Oswald and Ruby because I had done an interview, Mike, on the 50th anniversary of, anniversary is the wrong word, but the 50th marked date of John Kennedy's assassination, I interviewed Dr. Robert McClellan, who was one of the doctors in the ER yeah. that attended yep. to him, and he was talking about, he told me about how after everything that had taken place, he finally had that Sunday off. And he had gone to church with his family, come home, turned on the television, and he said right when the picture formed, he saw that he saw that shooting, and then they called him and said, You need to come back in, and he went in to tend to Oswald as well. But it was on a Sunday and, and you know, he said it just ha- it was like a nonstop blur, like a like a ninety six yep. hour blur for the country. But um anyway, on President's Day, the reason that I asked that of Mike Chappell, but Mike, let's get to Football in general, The can you give us a rundown in terms of the upcoming NFL schedule? And by that, I mean the the windows of the franchise tag and your anticipation of how the Colts will handle this and whether or not they will use it.
3: Yeah, I just posted something shortly uh, a bit ago on our site. It starts tomorrow I uh, 4 o'clock. I don't know what the time is. It doesn't really matter. But it starts tomorrow through... 4 p.m. on March 5th, teams can use the franchise tag and players. A handful of players hate it because it is restrictive, although it comes with a huge price tag. I expect the Colts to 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 tag Pittman. It's about 20.7 or 21 million one-year contract. It's guaranteed as soon as he signs it. As soon as the player signs it. One thing that it's interesting that people need to keep in mind is the franchise tag, as restrictive as it is, it doesn't keep you from the open market. You can still go out and sign an offer sheet. Uh, Pippen can go sign an offer sheet with the Kansas City Chiefs, let's say five years, you know, $25 million a year. And the Colts have the option to either match it, or if they don't, they get two first-round picks from that team. So you, you can go out of the market. It's just really, really, you know, Prohibitive to do because, the, like last year, the uh, the Ravens used the exclusive franchise tag on Lamar Jackson. Because how many teams would have given up easy quickly two first round draft picks for, for Lamar Jackson? A lot of them. Well, uh, how many teams would do that with Pittman or any receiver? As far as that goes, so. But the idea is to keep your best players. It used to be quarterbacks. And now it still is occasionally, but like last year, I think three running backs were tagged, uh, and two of them got one-year deals done, and, and Tony Pollard played into the franchise tag. So, it, it's a tool. It's a tool that the players agreed to when, when they did the latest labor agreement. The, the players agreed to this because it only impacts what six, eight, ten players a year. So, so the union. You know, the, the the core players, they don't care whether Michael Pittman or Lamar Jackson or whomever gets tagged. They want something else that impacts more of them. But, yeah, this is a tool. I would hope they get a long-term deal done. It'll kind of show us the, the team's commitment. The, like I wrote today, it will show them the depth of the commitment. Is it one year and then tag him again next year? Or do you give him four years, five years, or whatever number you want to put on it? I think the big thing would be what kind of guaranteed money he gets, but it's very clear that he is a core player. Ballard loves him. Every time he talks about Pittman, his eyes light up. It's just going to be what what will the what, what what will Pittman accept long term, and how does that match with what the Colts are willing to pay? That that's 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 what all the negotiations come down to.
2: The Dean, Mike Chappell of Fox fifty nine 9 and CBS 4, is our guest. Chap, you highlighted the Lamar Jackson situation a year ago, and they basically told him, hey, you can go out and find an offer if you want, but we're going to get first-round draft capital in any deal that you're able to go sign, so go ahead, have at it, and the league did nothing. And you highlighted that there. No one's going to do that for a wide receiver for giving up two first-round picks, regardless of how talented that player may be, in the Colts case, tagging Michael Pittman Jr. in today's NFL all but assures that he's going to remain a Colt. He could hold out, but the likelihood of somebody making one of those offer sheets in spite of the tag is incredibly rare. That said, kind of two things. One, is that why in your mind it makes all the sense in the world for them to tag him? Because it still leaves open the door to sign a long-term extension without getting into a bidding war with other teams? And then secondly, if they do tag him within this two-week window that starts tomorrow, how likely is it that there's a quick turnaround on extension with him?
3: I, I think there's a there's a decent chance, again, the, 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 the tag just gives you the leverage that he's your guy and he's not going to be on the open market come March 13th, which, which Pittman would love, he, he, and he, he kind of didn't disguise that when we talked to him at the end of the season, he said "He said I owe it to myself to do my due diligence to see what's out there. And I'm telling you, if Michael Pittman gets on the open market, somebody is going to pay him, I don't know, $24, $25 million a year. They just are, because that's what the market does. And and we can sit here and, and be critical of Michael Pittman because he's only got I don't know what it is, 15, 16 touchdowns. He's only averaging about 11 yards a catch. And all. We, we can do all that. But I can argue why some of those numbers are like that. The, the quarterback carousel and you lose Richardson last year. We can do that. All it takes is one team. Christian Kirk, Kirk remember Christian Kirk, was it last year? Where he got the big numbers from uh, uh, Jacksonville. It only takes one team. So that, that's why and again, it comes down with the Colts is, is there's no, if you cut through it, there's no plan B. Let's say they say, well, we're just not going to pay him $23 million a year, and we don't want to tag him at 21 a year, well, which is, you, you would, but if you don't, your, your receiver room has, Josh Downs was a rookie last year, and, and Alec Pierce, second-year player, who you're still waiting to see. So if you don't Pete Pittman, then you're either going to grossly overpay on the free agent market, whoever's out there, because whenever we see the pending receiver free agents, teams are going to either re-sign these guys or tag them. So you're not going to get, you know, maybe you get a Mike Evans, maybe a T. Higgins, I I don't know. But you're going to overpay. You're probably going to pay more for a, for a veteran free agent than you will for Pittman, because that's what the market does. So yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think the last time, and I didn't mention the story, the last time they tagged a guy was McAfee in 2013. Primarily because they just it just hasn't been necessary to do so. Uh, but again, it's it, it's that hammer. It, the NFL is all about leverage. Who's got the leverage? And when teams have the leverage, they use it. And and when players have the leverage, you know Eli Manning in the draft. You know things like that. When you have leverage, that's when you have to use it because very few times does a player look at Dak Prescott in, in Dallas. He's got all the leverage. He's going to cost sixty million dollars or whatever it is, and he's got a no trade. And he ha- so so he has to do. Some- when you get leverage, you use the leverage because seldom do you have leverage.
1: You know, Mike. I'll be honest with you. You mentioned Christian Kirk, and we've talked about this before. At the time, Jacksonville seemingly overpaid him, but they didn't overpay him based on what his value was to Jacksonville. Exactly. I, I, I mean, he turned out to be for what they needed. Man, he was a
3: he was a godsend for what they needed. Right. And, and just yeah, all, it, yes, it only takes one team, but that team needs to be right now. What you know, there've been there's a lot more cases of, of teams that are over overpaid for these guys, and right. not worked out, which is one of the reasons that the ba- Ballard and the Colts rarely go in big time because it's just it's just rare when that happens. Now, they tend to be more selective.
1: So let allow me to ask this and, and I'm going to show my ignorance here, Mike, because it takes me a minute sometimes to grasp these things. So the Colts have to make a decision about Michael Pittman on whether or not they want to franchise tag him before he would go on to the open free market, right?
3: Correct. By market okay. if they have to if they're going to use it now, they have to do it.
1: Here's my dumb question and why I'm a talk show host and not an NFL general manager. The the decision whether or not to franchise tag him theoretically would be largely based upon their perception of likelihood of being able to re-sign him, or if they were to lose him and they, and they want to keep him, that's why they would franchise tag him. Are they allowed to begin negotiations with them ahead of the free agency period, or have like whisper conversations so that they get a feeling or a barometer on what their likelihood is of being able to retain him without tagging him?
3: Yeah, you can you can have contract talks with guys under contract. They can announce today that they that they've signed Pittman or Kenny Moore or Gardner Minshew, but, but other teams other
1: teams cannot, right? Correct, correct, right? Okay, other teams can't mess with your guys until I think it's March 11th. So they don't have any idea what somebody else may theoretically be exactly. looking to offer him.
3: Exactly. Uh, one thing I noticed here, I, I mentioned in the story, in the top 13 receivers last year averaged 20 million dollars a year. In the top eight. Average twenty three, so in my mind, Michael Pittman's floor is twenty three million on a free agent or, or on a new contract, uh, and then it goes up. So yeah, the the Colts have a very good idea. He, Pittman told us in January that they agreed not to talk during the season, and so I, I in my mind, there's no question that they've had discussions. They know that hey, you know, that we're within. You know parameters to where we can make this work, or Pitman's wanting the stars and, and, and the moon, and we're not going to get there. So, so then you tag it. The tag at least gives you, you know, where he's not going to go anywhere, barring somebody doing something stupid. Another team, I mean. So yeah, you know, they know where they they know they know where they're at with Pittman. They know where they're at generally with these other guys because it, by, by March thirteenth you need you probably need to have guys re-signed that you want to retain just so they don't get on the market because the market probably in a lot of instances is going is going to increase that player's value some not some some they will so yeah they they know i think they as they sit here today i think Ballard and his guys have a pretty good idea that you know we're not that far away and we can get something done you know, it's kind of like the Jonathan Taylor thing last year. We're, we're sitting in the press room in, in June, and we're just kicking around. You know, this is going to end up with three years, 40, 42 million, and we had to go through all of that because the media does that because we're smart. We think we're smart. And that's what the number essentially was when they got all this done. The, the, the Colts know. The Colts have a good idea, or they know that, you know, we are so far away, this is going to be a tag, and then we'll deal with that later. Uh, they, know, they know where they're at with Pittman. They know where they're at with these other players for the most part.
4: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
2: Mike Chaple of Fox 59 and CBS 4 joins us. Chap, a tag applied to Michael Pittman Jr. effectively ends any bidding war that you could likely get into if he hits the open market. With that said, what would be your level of surprise if they didn't tag him, and if they weren't to tag him Why wouldn't they? Because when I look at it from the team's perspective, outside of maybe egos or maybe like reception since they haven't, or perception around the locker room since they haven't done in a decade, I can't figure out a lot of negatives why they wouldn't tag him and risk him hitting the open market. So level of surprise if they didn't, and if they did not tag him, why would you assume they would not?
3: Oh, it would be an immense surprise. I, I don't know what to compare it to. It, 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 would, be, it would be like, you know, be, I'd be surprised like it's 90 degrees tomorrow. No, it's it, you have to tag him because not tagging him, again, it goes against everything that Chris Ballard has talked about regarding Pittman's value. And, again, just listen to Chris Ballard, and, and Pittman is everything they want in a Colt. You know, sometimes they talk about, well, this guy's a Colt. He's a horseshoe guy. Well, Pittman's a horseshoe guy. He just is. Uh, yes, you want more from him. You want more from everybody, unless it's Mahomes or Justin Jefferson, whatever. But to not tag him and say, "Well, hey, I tell you, Michael, go out there and see what you get in the open market, and, and, and give us a chance to match it." Well, that's not going to happen. It's not. If he gets out there, some team is going to give him at twenty four, twenty five million dollars a year because some because that's what he'll end up being one of the top two or three receivers available because the other guys are going to be re-signed or tagged. So I just, they don't let good, they they try not to let good players leave if at all possible. And I say, again, that's where the tag is not the best option because it's one year and then you're here again next year, but it's a, it's a good option. It's, it's, it gives the team, the chance to retain good players. Pittman's a very good player. I would be beyond shocked if they didn't tag him.
1: Chap, tell me the one player in your covering the Colts from the time the Mayflowers arrived to present that was the free agent signing that had the greatest disparity between the way it was received when it was announced and the payoff that it had, either from a negative or positive standpoint one way or the other.
3: Wow, free agent, wow. Wow. You should have given me a heads up on that. Um, God, nobody jumps off, but... Uh, that's the thing. This uh, is you
1: know, a franchise that has not historically had, like, major splashes. Is kind of my point, Andre right? Andre
3: Johnson. Andre Johnson.
1: Boy, you're not kidding. That was. And Frank, uh, Frank Gore was a solid uh, uh, player for them, but, I mean, people thought those two guys that it was literally like, they just signed Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders, I and mean, that's how people... You know what I mean?
3: Leron L- 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 Landry. Uh... He, he he did not work out. Leron Landry, and for a lot of reasons. Boy, that whole class. And...
1: Remember when they, you know, <laughs> Griggs yeah. is back in the Brinks truck, and it was Landry, Goster Shareless, Ricky Jean-Francois, Eric Walden. Uh, some of them were okay. I thought Goster Shareless was okay, and then all of a sudden the bottom fell out, right?
3: Yeah, Eric Walden was pretty good, too. He had an edge to him. They, they've had some really good. Uh, jabal uh, Sherry was really, really good. Danico Autry was really, really good. And okay. Some of them just didn't work out.
1: I'll give you one that I thought was pretty good, and at the time, and I think it was anticipated of being pretty good. But even beyond just what he did on the field, I think symbolically, I thought Chad Bratsky was a pretty good signing.
3: Oh, he was a great signing. Yeah. He was, and at the time, they made him the highest-paid uh, defensive end, I believe. I mean, and he was good for four or five years. He
1: was, but and in, in addition to that, chap, and you tell me if you agree with this. He, I thought what Chad Bradsky did was that was the first player that kind of symbolized that no, this is not your dad's Baltimore Indianapolis Colts. Like let, we're gonna to start to try to put something together here, and it was the first piece that kind of gave them some real free agent market validity.
3: That might have been back when in was that in ninety eight when they brought him in uh, ninety nine. I can't remember. It was,
1: yeah, it might have even been like ninety six or seven, right? I. It,
3: Wait, I was thinking it was when it was when. Then it, this is later, but when, when Pullian came in and, and the defense was just bereft of talent, you get the Cornelius Bennetts and, and, and all those guys, and he redid the defense by a free agency. Yeah. So, and, and again, it's 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 different now because the, the the cost of free agency has gone through the roof because because that's how teams, the quick fixes. But it would be really cool, maybe one of these days I'll do this, is, is look at the top ten and the, and the worst ten free agent signings, and it would, it would impact, remember Corey Simon, uh, he was a free agent, yeah, he was a free agent from uh, Philly.
1: The mystery illness, and, man.
3: Right, right. Booger McFarlane for a year, he, it worked because that, he, he was the anchor of that uh, interior defense for the Super Bowl team, so a lot of them worked out, and unfortunately, you know, when you miss, it, just, it just costs you with dead money and all that stuff, so. But, again, it's interesting the way Chris Ballard has done it by really trying to stay away from the, 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 the massive signings. And he gets to that mid-level where, where the prices come down. But, you, but if you're right, you still get some really, really good players. Again, Danico Audrey, Jabal Sher, those guys, those were damn good players. And, you know, I, if you can hit on a couple of those guys a year, you know, uh, Samson Ekubon. Great signings. Yeah, he's been signing. a good player for them,
1: for sure, right? Yeah, quietly, qu- kind of quietly a good player for them.
3: That, right. The one thing that they've never really hit on were these receivers, which it just drives me crazy. You know, the, I, I always say that still their best free agent-wide receiver signing was Donnie Avery back in 2012. They just haven't been super active with it, but they've never really gone after a guy that's cost them, which is probably good considering – the people they, they've gone after, but it just hasn't worked out. I, and I'll, just, just to take it a step further, I really think that re-signing Pittman, you still need to go out on a, on the market or in the draft and get you a really Correct. viable uh, wide receiver. I'd agree with to that. Help that. Room. Uh,
1: by the way, Mike Chappell, I am going to right now on the program declare that in terms of on this President's Day, this is my like decree. Uh, you, Mike Chappell, in terms of the local media, are the Chester A. Arthur of media <laughs> members do you know why i'm appointing you as chester a arthur
3: well i'm not as old as he is but go ahead
1: correct i believe chester a arthur by the way is the most random and obscure and little known president you are not that or least known president you are not that obviously but chester a arthur's nickname was elegant arthur because of his keen fashion sense which when i think keen fashion sense mike chapel <laughs> jumps right out you are elegant chap I'm not, I'm not fashion, I'm sitting here in, in shorts today So I, I, of course I always wear shorts So I know that Fashion's in the eye of the beholder <laughs> There we go, Mike Chappell Elegant chap for his keen fashion sense Wearing shorts when it's 20 degrees outside Joe Stasniak's thrilled Chap, we appreciate the time as always Thank you, talk to you next week Alright, Mike Chappell joining us on the program
4: Life is so much more than a diagnosis It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
1: Rolling along on a President's Day. This, by the way, would be... Presidents of the United States of America, the name of the band. If I had a million dollars, James Boyd may have a million dollars. He was surrounded by some guys that had more than that. Over the course of the weekend, James Boyd of the Athletic covering the All-Star Game. Of course, some Colts conversation as well. But we'll begin, James, with the All-Star Game. Uh, What was your first takeaway from last night, either be be it the game itself, the lack of intensity, your overall thoughts?
5: It didn't bother me too much. Um, I think a lot of people are upset about it. Oh, they don't play hard. They don't care. They play hard and they care in a lot of other games that matter a lot more. So I always think of it through the eyes of, like, a 7- or 8-year-old. And if you think that seeing Luka Doncic do anything or LeBron James dunk it with no defense is cool – then more power to you. But, you know, people who complain about it, you don't have to watch it. That's kind of how I view it. So it was not a good game. I will admit that. I was there in person. But after, like, the intros and some of the, you know, award type of things or the recognition moments with Oscar Robertson and other things like that, that was cool. But the game itself, I hardly watched it. I didn't even, like, post the final score on my Twitter feed because – I kind of forgot all about the game afterwards because it was more so like, okay, can I actually ask somebody a question about the Pacers?
1: <laughs> you know, the, um, let's begin with this, and I agree with that. I mean, James, what I was saying is this. The, the All-Star game, to me, it's an exhibition, and it's an exhibition of, you know, somebody said like, yeah, I can go out across the street and watch guys shoot from 40 feet and hit shots. Like, can you? I, I mean, the level at which... And I get it, you just don't want to see stand around playing horse, but some of the, just the passing or the the athleticism necessary for the alley-oops and stuff like that is truly, I, I it's a credit to the NBA and to the level of play that we are ho-hum about that, right? I mean, like I said, when Dr. J took off from the free throw line, it brought the world down. And now... Guys are taking off from the free throw line and like high fiving seven people in the stands at the same time and then catching an alley oop with the left hand and putting it an into the right. I mean, it's unbelievable what's on display. And to me, that's that maybe they just need James to promote it differently. I mean, do people not understand what you're getting into kind of? But I I'm also understand sure. that after the first five minutes, it kind of was like, okay, I mean, I get both sides. Yeah,
5: I do see both sides of it. I would probably say, you know, you probably don't want to see Luca shooting. From three quarter court, hit the top of the backboard, or him hardly even trying to like actually make a dunk, you know, Nikola Jokic out there like faking like he's gonna dunk when he's you know, six eleven and not dunking. Like just stuff like that. It's like, you know, why do it? I thought like Halliburton had the right energy coming out, shooting it well. Dame had the right energy I saw coming out, and a few others, but you know, once some of the bigger name stars, you know, we're talking about like league MVPs here, you know, LeBron and and Nikola Jokic and obviously MVP candidate, Luka Doncic, who, you know, just weren't very engaged. And I think you you sort of follow their lead in a sense. So um, it's funny because you talk about the skill, Jake, where, you know, Carlton Anthony Towns and it had a 50-point game when he wasn't trying, like very hard. So that speaks to the level of talent, but – I mean, I don't know how they fix it. I don't know if they ever need to change it. I, I just kind of have accepted that it's going to be this one 24-hour talking point, And then after that, we'll look back on those games more of like, okay, who had so many all-star game appearances versus, you know, the all-star game itself. And, you know, if they had to fix it, just put me out there because I'll go out there and get some buckets for sure. <laughs>
1: Not change. <laughs> You know, actually, if they put you out there and you had to play the. Actually, in that game, you probably would get a bucket, right? Because there's no defense. So you could just go lay it in. Oh, I would but,
5: get one in that game. Yes. Yeah. In an NBA right. game, no. But in that game, I would get a leak out layup um, because that's all you have to do. I mean, half the guys didn't even cross half court.
1: So, yeah. <laughs> do you feel like Tyrese Halliburton had a pride about representing the Pacers and allowing the city and the state to be on display? to the likes that we had not seen in terms of that pride probably since Reggie Miller.
5: Yes. Yes. And I think that Tyrese, I was just having this conversation with my buddy, Tony East who's on here all the time as well. It's going to be funny to tell a kid 20 years from now, assuming Halliburton stays here and builds his career here, that he was not drafted here because it felt like he was Indiana's own for you know, a few days. And that's what it feels like, even beyond those few days, just what the energy's brought to the franchise, the enthusiasm, the aura, the flair, all these things. And so I think that he's so much more comfortable now being in that space. And this just gave them, you know, a great opportunity to try to show what he has to offer to the game. And then hearing the greats talk about him both past and present, you know, what he means to this franchise, it sounded like, you know, this is a guy who. Can change this place, and and maybe they were saying the same things about Paul George. Obviously, I wasn't here around that time, but with Tyrese, the energy, the admiration, and just the you know support that he's received around the league is incredible. And the way that he's handled it with grace, class, you know, personality, flair—those things have made him made him an easy you know sort of prom king, as he said, of All Star Weekend here in Indianapolis.
2: James Boyd is our guest. Covers the Colts for the Athletic, as well as the Pacers and different. Crossover stuff for the athletic. and can follow him on Twitter at Romeovillekid. James, going back to the All Star Game for a second. David Aldridge, who's covered the NBA for a long time, well respected in the industry. You know, one of my favorite writers that's still involved in the sport was one of many national correspondents that came down heavily on the effort level last night. And the league has tried the last ten years to experiment with different ways to make it more competitive. The most notable from a defensive standpoint is you knew that people would lock in with the Elam ending when they had that the last couple of years because there was a target score, there was charity money on the line, and it felt like at least late in those games there were more defensive stops, certainly, than there was last night. They get rid of that because they didn't like it, they thought it was too gimmicky, and they go back to the traditional format. You have the most points ever scored in an All-Star game by the East with 211. Is the game itself broken or... Is the fan broken to be expecting anything less than just, as Jake's highlighted a couple times, an electric offensive exhibition with a defense optional best approach? Is it the fans' perspective that needs to change, or does the league really need to try to fix it? No, I think the league
5: had it right with the Elam ending, and so I think you bring up a good point. Honestly, I don't keep up with like all-star game rule changes. <laughs> And so when I got there last night, I was like, wait, it's a regulation game? Like, just no, like, competitiveness, no target score. And so I think that they should bring that back, absolutely. The Elam ending, um, you know, should be brought back. It brings excitement. It at least intensifies the game for certain spurts of it. And it, it incentivizes the players to kind of keep it close. That way they can win it at the end, even if they're, you know, down eight or nine and they're not down 20. And so I don't think there was – you know, once it got to, like, 15 points With the East leading, I was like, there's no way the West is coming back because they're not going to play any defense, too. And so unless, you know, the East, who are, by the way, some of the best shooters in the league, you know, Lillard, Halliburton, they're not going to just miss all their shots. And if you don't play any defense, it's not going to work. But I think, like you said, Jimmy, bring up a very good point. Bring back the Elam ending and um, have us sort of at least be on the edge of our seat for the final two minutes or whatever it is of these games.
1: James Boyd of The Athletic is our guest. James, it's President's Day. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of presidential trivia questions through the course of the conversation, okay? Sounds good. Okay, here we go. Uh, You you attended the University of Illinois. I'm correct in that, right? Yes. There is only one president that was educated in terms of their college education in the state of Illinois. Do you know which president it is?
5: I do not.
1: It's also the Um, only president both of these two in your defense by the way both of these kind of like I'm, I'm not obscure but not necessarily linked to this president also only one president same president is the only to be born in the state of illinois do you know that
5: well, i do know this i think ronald
1: reagan that is correct ronald reagan okay. went to eureka college in illinois and was born in illinois he is the only president all right i got one more for you you ready yes There are three, if you can get two of the three, uh, I'll be impressed. Well, if you get all three, I'll be impressed. You'll get two of the three, I think. There are three presidents that at their election as president, Illinois was listed as their primary state of representation. Those three presidents would be who?
5: Barack Obama? That is one. Oh, my goodness that might be it for me. come on now
1: attorney from springfield buried in springfield the illinois license plates say it's the land of this president
5: oh wow Abraham Lincoln
1: correct he's not i mean he he was a representative of you know he was an illinois legislator uh the last one i'll just tell you because i had no idea that you could you could win bar bets till the cows come home on this the third, the president that was representative of the universe, uh, or excuse me, of the state of Illinois for their election, Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses yeah, no, there's
5: no way. First of all, I can't even pronounce Ulysses very well, so um, <laughs> that was definitely one of the presidents I forgot. Whenever we had like a president test in school, name all fifty of them, I would probably get like forty because one of those names is not going to get remembered. So um, I thought they are all right, though. You know, two for four.
1: Pretty good. Pretty good. Not too bad. Hey, the the Rising Stars game, a lot was made of this, I I think, in the moment, and it kind of got overshadowed by the actual All-Star game. But the kind of feud between Jaden Ivey and Benedict Matherin, you know, this is kind of a real thing in terms of where players get drafted and wanting to compete. There's a rivalry. How... How warm-blooded, James, do you think that rivalry is or how much of that was for show? I think it's legit. I don't think Benedict is a very good, like,
5: pretender. (laughs) You know, even uh, when he like we ask him questions and he gives, like, the diplomatic answer, I'm like, you don't have a very good poker face Um, because his face is just, like, he's dead serious, it seems like, most of the time. So I actually think that that was for real and... I can tell you that because I remember when I first spoke to him at summer league, right after he got drafted, he was like, anybody who drafted ahead of me, you know, being the number six pig, I want to go at them and I want to show them they made a mistake, you know, and that's basically what he told me in this tiny gym. And, you know, I think it was on UNLV campus back then. he really lives by that. And he has that slight, that chip on his shoulder because of that. And we, we might see some more of that, you know, come Thursday night when, the Pistons come to Gamers Fieldhouse. But I do. I will say, Jake, that you cannot, you know, airball dunks and, uh, you know, brick free throws uh, that you bet, you know, 25K on after you talk like that. So um, he got the best of them in a sense, but it was a very chaotic rising star of his game or nights for Benedict Mather.
2: Did this weekend as a whole, James Boyd of The Athletic is our guest, did the weekend as a whole live up to what you have heard slash what you remember of Indy being a spot to knock events out of the park in terms of the way stuff was distributed across downtown in terms of the setup of things, whether it's All-Star Saturday night, whether it's, as Jake mentioned, Rising Stars, the game itself, did it live up to what you thought it would be? To me, it
5: did for as well as it could. Like I said, you can't, you know, change the feel of the game unless you're playing in it. So, like, you can't ask any city to be like, well, make the All-Star game better. Well, that's up to the players. Um, I thought logistically, obviously, Indianapolis, once you get downtown, you can get in everywhere on foot, so that was great. I the traffic probably could have been better, some of the direction with it. Obviously, the snow being cleared out sooner would have helped the other night. But um, overall, I thought it was, you know, pretty fun. And and, and and really, there was a lot of unique, like, side things you could do, you know, while you were down there. You know, I had a, one of my buddies, he had, like, this pop-up shop in the mall where they were kind of selling some different merchandise, NBA pop-up shops, things like that. There were the ice, you know, sculptures of Larry Bird, which i took a picture with, and other greats, you know, in Indiana. And, you know, there was the crossover event that I went to, kind of like the Indiana State Fair where you could do a bunch of basketball stuff. So I thought if there was an opportunity, you felt like, hey, maybe I can't afford to go to the All-Star Game or the Rising Stars Game or the Dunk Contest, whatever, if you wanted to be down there and kind of feel the vibes of All-Star Weekend and maybe just do a little something – there was always something to do. I mean, I even shot hoops outside when I was walking to the LeBron press conference yesterday. I saw some balls rolling around me, um, and I saw some hoops and just got to shooting around. So it was fun, man. I thought it was a really good um, moment for the city, and I can tell that I'm getting you know, more territorial because when people were, were talking crazy about Indiana or Indianapolis, I was like, um, relax. You know, you've seen snow before. Suck it up
1: and have fun. You know, James, my only critique would be this and and then i want you to tell me if you think it's a fair critique i think for people that are fans of the nba all-star game for people that were fans of the nba and for people that are fans of you know a, a particular player it was wonderful i think everybody that came down with the exception of the weather which nobody can do anything about it, they enjoyed themselves but i feel like it fell a little bit short in a tra- and this is probably largely weather based But my one critique would be that unlike when the Final Fours here, the Super Bowl is an unfair comparison because that's a different animal, but we'll use Final Fours as a comparison, that there were fewer transcendent residents that came down. In other words, the people that came down, for the most part, were coming down because they are fans of the NBA or of the event itself, and you got a fewer number of people – that were like, hey, big event downtown, let's go soak it in. That probably is weather-based, but that would be my one critique.
5: Yeah, I can definitely see that. I do think that you probably had to have an interest in basketball rather than just like, hey, this is going on. right? And also think that –
2: Whereas I think the Final Four,
1: James, I think with the Final Four, you do get people that are like, hey, the Final Four is here, so let's definitely go down and have dinner and get a beer and just soak in the environment. But that's weather-based to a large extent.
5: Yeah, but I also think that there's just, there's something to being at something where people are truly trying to win it. You know what I mean, Jake? Like, you know, Final Four, if you go down there, you want to suck up the environment, even if you don't go to the game itself, you just go to a bar and watch the game. You're watching people actually compete and try to do something Or special, you're watching whereas,
1: fans that are, com- that are passionate about being there. Right. right. They,
5: they, they live and die with these teams, whereas with the All-Star game, it's like, who's on what team? Oh, is it East or West this year? Is it Elon ending this year? Or who's playing? And LeBron only played eight minutes? Like, who cares? I mean, I, I was there in person, and it was honestly hard to even focus on anything outside of, like, Halliburton's hot streak at the beginning of the game. I was thinking to myself, this is boring, but again – that's what it's become. And I don't know how the league fixes it. I've heard reports, and I think it was actually with um, one of my guys, Sam Amick, reported for the Athletic, like, hey, the players were thinking about how can they get paid for all-star games and stuff like that. But I'm like, I don't even know if that will change it. Like, if you give millionaires an extra million dollars, like, to play in this game or play hard, would that change anything? I don't think so, because all the guys in those games last night are on max contracts or will get one very soon. So – I don't know, but I do think, like you said, something about the Final Four and just competitive events in general make it more of a I want to be down there on that energy versus – I feel like it was a leisure type of thing with you know, the All-Star Game. If you can make it, cool if you can't, not a huge deal.
2: James Boyd of The Athletic is our guest. James, we've talked a lot of Pacers. I want to pivot for the remaining time we have you towards the Colts. Franchise tag opportunity of the next two weeks. That window opens tomorrow. How quickly between the time that period opens, do you think it occurs that Michael Pittman Jr. is given a tag by the Colts?
5: I don't know about how quickly, but you know I got to give him time to negotiate. But I do think that the most realistic option is that he get tagged. Um, I don't see why he would, and I'm not saying that like he's going to get tagged and they never actually go back and revisit and negotiate a long term right. deal. But the way I see this playing out, Jimmy, is that. He comes in and says, I want a hundred million dollars, four years, twenty five million dollars a year, and I want fifty million dollars guaranteed. And then the Colts go, No, we're not gonna pay you that much. How about we give you, you know, eighty million four years? You know, and he's like, No, nah, I'm not doing that, you know, tag me. And they tag him, and I think the tag is projected to be like twenty two million. And so if you like take twenty two, multiply by four, that gets you to about eighty eight million. So I think they'll tag him. They'll negotiate again, and then they'll come to an agreement sort of in the 88 to $90 million range with about $45 million guaranteed. And I think that will be an even exchange for both sides to continue their partnership together, whereas no side feels like they were, like, slighted or wrong or anything like that. But I just think it will be a bad move on Pittman's part or even the team's part to just basically agree to anything right off the bat. Like, you're both trying to gain leverage, but I think it will come to that, you know, agreement, but, you know, got to play your cards first.
1: James, which.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: What more intrigues you? James Boyd is our guest from The Athletic. Which more intrigues you? The amount Pittman's going to get, presumably by the Colts or from the Colts, or the amount the Colts are willing to spend for another wide receiver? In addition to Michael Pittman.
5: I think it's probably the latter because they're gonna pay Pittman. I would just say everybody on the radio who's listening, relax, breathe. Michael Pittman Jr. will be a cult for next season for sure. And beyond that, I'm pretty sure of that. Like it will just be franchise mal- you know, malpractice to not, you know, re-sign that guy and keep him around long term. But, you know, as far as the pieces around him and around Anthony Richardson, I'm just not sure. I think this year, this offseason is a really big one as it is usually for Chris Ballard, but just because you have a team that's sort of in place to win now, and so his philosophy in the past has always been to kind of be you know, second to the punch on free agents or I'm going to take a swing on this guy, we won't really go all in on this. you got to make some moves to win like tomorrow, and so I wonder if his philosophy and his aggressiveness will change considering their cap space and free agency in the draft coming up.
1: Is there a player, James, that is going to be a free agent from the Colts, I mean, that that was with the Colts this year that is entering free agency that we might find out has more value on the open market than they actually do or did to Indianapolis?
5: That's actually a really good question. I think that that player could potentially be, you know, someone like Kenny Moore. You know, he's a 28-year-old, I believe, you know, slot corner. Um, does he have value or more value in a different system? Will he be viewed differently in a different system? know he's been here for a long time. He wants to stay here. He's someone I probably, like, think about, you know, just because of the youth movement the Colts sort of have going on. I think they should bring him back, honestly. Um, Julian Blackman's kind of underrated in that sense. He's got the injury history stuff, didn't finish this season. But he had played really, really good football. And I thought that they honestly lost the Texans game because he wasn't playing in it. You know, some of those defensive breakdowns in the secondary, they needed him for that. And I think that he could, you know, command a decent market, you know, in free agency. So we'll see. But, um, you know, as it always goes, I think that the majority of the coaches players should be brought back, you know, the free agents, some of the bigger name guys. But this is the NFL, man. It never works out that way. Your team is never 100% the same. And so I would expect, you know, one or two guys that maybe I was, you know, looking forward to seeing again, maybe, you know, suiting up somewhere else.
2: The Athletics, James Boyd, nice to have to take some time with us. James, back to Michael Pittman Jr. for a second. I'm with you. They tag him, and then you have that opportunity to negotiate a long-term extension without the fear of getting into a bidding war with somebody else. But from Pittman's point of view, he knows that next year it would be near-cap suicide for the Colts to tag him again because of the way the percentage increased, especially at that position- what they'd be paying him. At that point, you're better off just signing him to a long-term deal, talking about in 2025, than tagging him a second time. What is the likelihood that you mentioned in that scenario? I know it was a hypothetical, but I agree with your numbers. Pittman wants, let's say, 25 a year, and they're like, no, we see him more as like a 21, 22 type of guy. What is the likelihood that he says, you know what, I'm going to play out this tag and then see what happens in the offseason in 2025, despite the thought, like all players think about, you're one injury away from everything changing?
5: Yeah, I was going to say that would be a great move if this was a video game and injuries were turned off. And so if someone comes to you and says, hey, we'll offer you $80 million, $85 million, $90 million to play football, I don't know a world where Pittman might turn that down. And also just considering that he is a homegrown talent. um, He seems to really love, you know, being a Colt. His relationship with Anthony Richardson. And then, in my opinion, looking at what the Colts need to do to build a winner around Anthony Richardson, you just can't let Pittman get out of the door. So even if you have to bite the bullet and overpay to keep him there, you do it because it matters more, not necessarily just to keep Pittman, Happy, but you keep your quarterback, who you're building around, your your franchise guy, happy as well and helping him grow into his position. So, um, you know, I, I think that it would be, again, a great move. if There's no injuries and stuff like that. But for Pittman, I think if, you know, his respect with Chris Ballard, how genuine they seem to be with one another, and, and Ballard talked about how they're pretty candid in their conversations, I don't think this would be a very contentious negotiation at all. And, um, you know, I'll knock on some wood here and say that, you know, we will not be experiencing deja vu with Pittman and John John Taylor kind of going back to back years of you know contract disputes and stuff like that. No, I don't foresee that at all.
1: James, now that we know that Anthony Richardson is has been given the green light to throw again, you know, coming off of the the surgery and the off season and everything that took place, or you know, I mean, obviously sitting out, I mean, and resting going into the off season. Uh, where do we stand, or have you heard at all? How he looks and how much throwing he is doing. And I, I'm having Andrew Luck flashbacks.
5: Yeah, you know what? I haven't had a chance to really check in with him. Um, you know, and obviously the culture kind of kind of keep things under wraps until, you know, they feel like he's 100% good to go. I will just tell everyone out there yes, he's throwing again. And when we talk to him about the timeline, this is around time he's going to throw again as well. But I. I wouldn't bet on him right now throwing like, you know, 60 yards, 70 yards, whatever it is when he's like really uncork it, um, you know, with his cannon arm throwing is different. And probably, he's probably like building up to, you know, more of the bigger throws, the full throws, the, you know, velocity, all those things. And so um, I think he is fine for now. Everyone can take a deep breath. And, uh, you know, I think for me, If I get to OTAs, Jake, or get to some of these offseason stuff, and he's not, like, there yet, then I'll have some questions like, okay, what's going on? Because the timeline said X, Y, Z. But until then, I'm not too worried about it. And, you know, honestly, I had somebody ask me the other day, you know, hey, do you think they would let Anthony play in the celebrity game? And I was like, do you want to see Chris Ballard perform a citizen's arrest at Gamer Shield House? No. There's no chance he would be there or at Lucas Oil Stadium playing basketball this weekend they're making sure that his shoulder gets together, that he can, um, you know, throw a football again. So uh, it'll be fun to see him when he's back out there in action.
1: Either one of you guys, James Boyd, Jimmy Cook. Jimmy, I think this is going to be right in your wheelhouse. Either one of you guys ever collect comic books? No, not. not really. Not. Okay. If you were to collect comic books, would you find it odd? Or if you were to meet somebody that collected comic books, uh, Spider-Man and Conan the Barbarian, either one of those, like, be of interest to you at all? Spider-Man, I yes. Go Spider-Man. Those are the primary two comic books collected by Barack Obama. That is his hobby. Hmm. He collects Spider-Man and Barbarian comic books.
5: Yeah, so we got, we got a couple things in common, you know, because uh, I'm, I'm running for president, you know, in a couple years as well. So. <laughs> from Illinois, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, from Illinois. <laughs> there you go. Better than Ulysses S. Grant, I guess. Uh, James, you're in on Friday, right? I am in on Friday. All right, I'm taking off uh, going to Vegas, so James is capably filling in, more than capably, uh, oh, you probably. you the
5: Vegas part out, man. I didn't need to hear about all that. <laughs> I ain't need to hear about all
1: that. <laughs> I'm going to a concert in Las Vegas, so I'm only there for about 50 hours. James, I expect like 10 going.
2: presidential facts from you that's on right. Friday ready to go. I that's just right. ho- hope you're prepared for that. <laughs> oh, man, you take me back
5: to like school. Look, brother, I was a good student, but I was a cram student, so I will remember it right before the test and forget it as soon as I walked out.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. James, appreciate the time as always. We look forward to having you in on Friday. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, James Boyd from The Athletic.